Bill and Bob's bracket busting bonanza. I'm Bob. I'm here with Bill. Hey, Bob. Bill, uh, we're still in Indianapolis. Uh, this time, it's the East region. Uh, we're going to do a little recap, and then we're going to do a preview of the Sweet 16 and potential Elite 8 matchups here. Uh, the teams that are left, we have the number one seed, Michigan, uh, the lone Big Ten survivor. Uh, they will take on number four, Florida State. And then at the bottom half of it, we have number 11, UCLA, uh, fresh off the uh, three games now coming from the play-in game, and they will take on number two, Alabama. Yeah, uh, this is a but this is uh, going to be an interesting region. I think um, this is uh, it's pretty easy to make the argument. This is the region that went most according to sort of what people thought it was going to be. Um, you had you have a Florida State team that you know faced a little bit of a challenge in that in the Colorado team, but proved themselves fully capable and uh, and further cemented themselves as an excellent defensive team. Michigan struggled a little bit um, against LSU, but LSU is not a bad team. And I think um, the SEC, along with the Pac-12, has kind of uh, played a little bit better than we, we assumed they were going to play. Um, you do look at the SEC, though, and, and they really only have the two teams that we expected to get through, get through. But LSU played very well. I didn't think LSU – I thought LSU was going to have a very difficult time in the first game that they played um, in the 8-9 matchup. They did not. Um, there was a good, uh, a good game by them in the first game. And then really in the second game, they jumped out to a bit of a lead, and it wasn't until probably about four or five minutes to go – where Michigan finally um, took enough of a lead that you started to feel a little bit comfortable because LSU kept scoring. That game was actually a really good game. There were, there were to start the second half. In the first half, Michigan was down eight to ten points, came yep. all the way back, took a one point lead at the half. Florida State, I mean not Florida State, um, uh, LSU came out of the half on a quick run, got the lead, their lead back up to eight points, then. Um, that was taken down to two. Went over Michigan, went and took a seven-point lead, and then LSU came back, took a four-point lead. It was like a lot of 10-0, 8-0, 7-0 scoring runs, which led to it being a really good game. They were both hitting a lot of threes. Um, just really an excellent game. I think more than anything, though, you noticed how much Michigan uh, missed levers not playing. Yeah, and we had mentioned it um, very briefly in the uh, in the West uh, recap, but um, certainly the some of the guards really did step up for this Michigan team, and they're not a team with a, a ton of depth, but we saw at least them step up um, when they needed it against LSU um, to get to to win that game because LSU had them on the ropes um, early uh, through yeah it was about fifteen to sixteen minutes um, in the first half. Um, and LSU is a good team. LSU has, oh yeah, you know they, they they're prone to making mistakes because they were kind of a young team, but um, but they have a couple guys in Smart and um, and Cam Thomas who we've talked quite a bit about who can really really score. Yeah, LSU, um, and 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 just to go back around further, 
they really did a nice job over St. Bonaventure's who is had a little bit, the Bonnies had a little bit more of the um, age experience, um, but LSU, it didn't matter. The tournament experience for them really made a difference with guys like Smart. And um, I think the other the other veteran is, is, day, is it Days? I think that's who I'm thinking yeah. of. Um, yeah, Darius Days. Um, but yeah, they that they, their their lineup looked good, and they looked like they were really going to challenge Michigan throughout. But Michigan, credit to them, um, you know, held on and 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 persevered by getting um, an eight point victory over LSU. Uh, the Colorado um, looked like they were going to really be the team that might challenge in this region, based off of their first round performance over Georgetown. Um, really, really crushed Georgetown. Um, uh, a ton of threes in the first half uh, just buried Georgetown, and Georgetown looked more of the George- Georgetown of the early part of the season than the one that won the Big East um, tournament. Yeah, to to quote the uh, the late great uh, Denny Green, they were who we thought they were, uh, and that was that was my uh, take on on Georgetown. I really had very little confidence in Georgetown going in. Um, I thought, you know, they, they sort of lucked their way into uh, the final game against Creighton. And then they played a good game against Creighton. So, you know, credit to them there. But, you know, I wasn't expecting a lot from them in the tournament. I certainly wasn't expecting a second-round win, but I wasn't expecting a first-round win either. This um, region went sort of exact – this uh, part of the region at least did go exactly how I, I assumed it was going to go. Yeah, the other the other side of that was Florida State. Um, you know, they they went over uh, UNC Greensboro. Um, you know, fairly reasonably ten point victory, and then the first half of the Florida State uh, Colorado game, probably one of the worst halves of basketball I think I've ever seen in my entire life. Well, that'll be the interesting thing. We'll get to it a little later, coming going forward, because Florida State is the kind of team that's that you know they don't have the offensive um, capabilities where they can just ride one guy and they know they're going to get a decent amount of points and buckets. Florida State can go minutes at a time without scoring. What they rely upon in those situations is that they have an excellent defense. But Florida State's the kind of team that doesn't get going offensively um, in a half-court set or drawing a place for somebody. The way that Florida State gets going offensively is – through their defense. Their defense starts forcing turnovers, forces you into bad shots. They get rebounds. They move up the floor quickly, and they get good looks in transition and score points in in in, um, in large volume in short spaces of time. But when they're forced to actually slow the tempo down and run uh, half-court offense, if you don't turn the ball over and you don't take bad shots against Florida State, I think you're, you're at an advantage. Um, Again, we'll get to that in a little bit. One one more thing I wanted to touch on real quick for, for Michigan because I forgot to mention him. We had mentioned him in a previous podcast, but Eli Brooks uh, stepped up and played a, the best game of his entire career, his life. The, he's a uh, guard for Michigan. Yes. Um, averages about 10 points a game, but hit but literally like without him in the first half, hitting uh, I think four or five three state, they're out of that game already. Um, another thing is Franz Wagner. Um, played really well in the second half. He's he's actually he has a uh, a very solid stat line. The thing about Michigan is even without Livers, and they do miss Livers quite a bit. He's their second leading scorer, forty three percent from the from three. 
with even without levers, they still have guys who can fill it up, and they still have guys who can score, and they still have guys who can rebound. Franz Wagner is a big guy. He's he's six nine. He's technically a guard, but he's six nine. So defensively, he can he can cover a big guy on the other end and and rebound. And rebounding will be key against Florida State. They also um, just to kind of show you the depth that we might see if Michigan. Um, advances again uh mike smith uh, a senior off their bench it's, he's a transfer from columbia when he was at columbia he was actually one of the leading scorers in the country so they do have some um some guys who can like you said they can fill it up and they're not names that, that you we've necessarily heard a ton about but they do have some scorers there that are going to need to step up if they're going to do anything moving forward yeah now, and and mike smith to, to further your point mike smith also leads uh michigan in assists by a lot he's yes. averaging five and a half assists a game so livers you know uh, is a forward and and will average a little bit less in the assist category even though he's a really good shooter um but as far as the getting the ball distributed to people, Smith is actually their best guy from a mm-hmm. from a passing perspective as well. And another guy that they have who's a forty percent three point shooter. That's the advantage. One of the advantages Michigan has. If they're down a guy, they they can make it up. You know, in the short term, with some of their three point shooting because between um, Wagner, who's thirty seven point two, Brooks, Smith, um, and Chandri Brown are all forty percent three-point shooters you can get if you get guys who are 40 percent three-point shooters you can win almost any game yeah um and although we'll touch on it a little bit further i think one of the issues with florida state that we hadn't mentioned in in any of the previous pods their team that turns the ball over um and that's something that could certainly come back and it's we've seen it in some some of these other um games in this tournament where with the upsets it's it's been if you have a weakness, it's being exposed, whereas some of these teams normally might squeak by a round or two before they're exposed by, say, a better quality team. Um, in particular, I'm looking down to the, the pod below it. That's what happened with Texas. Uh, Texas had, we we might may or may not have mentioned this, Texas had turnover issues throughout the year, although they have talented guard play, um, but not necessarily, um, you know, strong ball handling in the terms of, um, you know, not turning it over. And Abilene Christian, I think, turned them over 23 times in order to get a win there in the first round. Yeah, well, and that's, that. you know, maybe we should have talked about it a little bit more. I had been pretty open about the fact that I did not like Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't like Texas to advance past the second round. I thought they would probably get by Abilene Christian. And I think that's probably more just my own ignorance, not knowing um, – who Abilene Christian was and what they do. Um, I saw a stat that was really, really interesting, and it's a great stat for looking at small teams and what they do uh, and how they can beat big teams. One of the the stats of Abilene Christian was they are in the top four teams in the entire NCAA in points per game against. So defensively, they allow, I think, the fourth lowest uh, total points per game of any team in the country and to to take that a step further if you'd like if you're curious as to who the number one team is i believe it is loyola chicago yeah loyola chicago um in the midwest region uh i think we're having knocked off illinois i think they're now on everybody's radar as a team that could possibly come out of that bracket and go back to the final four several years later um opposite um 
well, the team that overcame Abilene Christian and really took took the task of being the one to blow them out was UCLA. Uh, Johnny Juzang um, proving as someone who uh, Kentucky fans certainly uh, must feel like they're missing because uh, he has he stepped up um, a ton in that game, uh, at least proving that he is no longer just a shooter. Yeah, and and um, stepped up a ton in that game and was hurt. Yes. Uh, or, you know, at, at the end of the BYU game, got hurt. That was actually the BYU-UCLA game was a pretty good game. It was it was strange. It was uh, you kept waiting for BYU to get it closer because UCLA, if you look at the numbers for the entire season, they're not a three-point shooting team. They were averaging like five or six threes a game. Yeah. And they had 10 in in the first half or, or uh, like the first half and some change into the second half uh, already against uh, BYU. So BYU kept you're waiting BYU is not actually playing that poorly offensively. They were they were getting themselves what appeared to be back in the game, but every time they would they would get close to that point, they just defensively they couldn't stop UCLA. UCLA would get a big bucket or they would hit a three. And, you know, when a team like UCLA shoots the way they shot in in the first round from three, it's very difficult to beat them because they're a pretty good team and they've got uh, a couple guys who can really play. Yeah, I think that the Hawkeyes is a very good player, really, yes. really good player. Yeah, they have their they have the talent um, certainly to match. Um, I'd say most teams in the NCAA they just are, you know, they didn't necessarily have the win totals in the regular season, which is how they wound up, you know, in a in the playing game. They're slightly more of a Jekyll and Hyde team, and you wonder if this is just the point where they're putting it together um, at the right time. Um, I now, think we could fa- also say, uh, you know. It wasn't the pack. The Pac-12 didn't get really many lucky wins. Yes, you know. So I think we can also say they don't. They didn't deserve to be in the in that game. I think they were probably should have been seated higher. If you if you want to retrospectively look and say we all underseated the the Pac-12 because it wasn't like the Pac-12 was the beneficiary of a couple lucky bounces in games. Like Pac-12 won their games against teams that were seated better than they were by double digits and some of those games were not even close the credit to the pack 10 slash 12 pack 12 yes pack 12 we I, still, I, I think we should just keep going at the pack 10 it, it works better well we could probably just cut off the two bottom teams in the conference and and just make it the pack well who like uh we'd say probably like utah send yeah, utah back we could send utah back to the uh, mountain west utah and then um who is the other team in the pack 12 that stinks washington Washington Washington, Washington has been pretty bad the past few years after making um, I don't know if it was a Final Four appearance but they did they were a one or a two seed there um, but they have struggled mightily over the past few years yeah so I think we're Pac-10 guys oh yeah this is a Pac-10 uh, Pac-10 pod for sure all right, uh, the last pod, um, we had UConn Maryland um, really just kind of a rock fight for the most part Um yeah, those seven ten games. Yeah, and then the other one was Alabama. Really got a uh, really got tested against Iona. They didn't shoot the ball all that well by Iona. Um, as you had said, they would do a few different things with pressure and stuff like that, and they really hung in there for a while before Alabama overcame them. And then Alabama. Yeah, that was just talent eventually yes. overcoming everything else in the game. You know, Iona hung around as long as Iona could hang around. It was a good job by Patino. Not surprisingly, but in the end of the day, Iona just didn't have the horses against Alabama. If they got matched up with another two seed, though, I think Iona could have actually uh, done something. Alabama, from a talent perspective, especially with the guard. 
cards that they throw out there. It, very difficult to beat for a super underseeded team like a 15 seed. Yeah, and in that game in particular, um, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm and I'm looking up the stat line now, um, yeah, it, Herb Jones just there was no answer for him from Iona. He he wound up uh, finishing with 20, um, yeah, 20 and six. But uh, I mean, just from the field, he he was just getting everything he wanted inside uh, against them. And then, like you said, the the guard play from Alabama is what. Uh, really dictates them um, and in the next matchup I think a lot of people thought Maryland might give them more of a game and I kind of didn't think so Maryland is a team in the regular season they give you they could be completely different Jekyll and Hyde teams they could come up and put 50 up in one half and then the next half only score 20 they're just a very weird team in that in that regard where they could fill it up quickly and then just show and then just the next half come out of the locker room or even start the game where they are just ice ice cold and Alabama um in that one just a complete route over Maryland yeah I I mean we had we had discussed this earlier I, I thought um coming out of the Big Ten Maryland and Rutgers um uh, being seated better than Michigan State was uh, very perplexing to me. And and even if you look at the Michigan State game, they lost a game that they were up 14 points at one point in time, and they were up big late, uh, and UCLA came back to tie it and put it into overtime. We had talked about this UCLA team in the previous uh, uh, part of this podcast. Like The UCLA team – just to remember, they did beat BYU, even though BYU shot three for 17 from from three. Um, they barely got by Michigan State. I don't look at that as a knock on UCLA at all because I think Michigan State is a, was a good team. But um, to bring it back to Maryland, I, I was entirely unsurprised that Maryland got killed by uh, by um, Alabama. And Alabama, that, uh, whether this is the game that kind of lights them um, – lights the fire to get them going um petty in particular who i felt shackleford it he i felt even in the sec tournament that he didn't uh didn't have he wasn't playing at that level that i think we've been used to he had he goes five of eight from three against Marilyn and petty who's another guy who seems to kind of go to the background a little bit as quinterly has stepped up um in these games just getting to the hoop and creating more than anything else uh, completely right quinterly's quinterly's ability to penetrate and dice through through defenders has been huge for them. but yeah petty goes petty goes four for nine and so now we saw the other two guards besides quinterly um really step up and i think that's that's what's going to be um i i don't i don't see an issue with Mar- um with Alabama going over UCLA here. Um, I just think if those three guards continue on that level, um, they're not going to have too much of an issue with UCLA and uh, with Herb Jones inside also. Yeah. So here's, this is, um, and again, not a knock on the Pac-12 or on uh, UCLA, but um, my issue with UCLA in these upcoming games is one, they've, played over their heads from a shooting perspective in the last couple games. Um, they've shot the ball way better than they normally shoot the ball. Um, from a rebounding perspective, they're in the 200s in the NCAA in rebounding. So a very difficult time hitting, hitting the boards. They allow a lot of offensive rebounds. Um, I think facing a team like Alabama or if – it eventually gets to it 
if they were to beat Alabama, which I do not expect, but if they were to beat Alabama facing a team like Michigan or Florida State, both of whom are good rebounding teams and both of whom have size that um, UCLA does not have. UCLA is is guards. Their their guards, Chazang uh, and um, and Hakez are are both six six. But that's really you know they don't have any skilled players over six six. They have a couple other guys they can throw at at like a Dickinson who are six nine six eight. But he should have a field day against them. And again, my issue with UCLA is going to be are they able to rebound the ball because I don't think they're going to shoot the way they. Have shot. If they shoot the way they shot, then they could be almost anyone. Yeah. The, the other thing that I'm seeing with UCLA, so they're they're ranked 337 out of 357 teams in Division One basketball in tempo. Uh, Alabama at 12. So Alabama, we've seen them get down in games. We saw it in the SEC tournament. Um, we saw it, um, you know, in the opening round game against Iona, although it was Iona. But they're a team that even when they're down, they can – they could get the ball, they could get out in transition, and they have these shooters um, where they're not out of ball games. So in in that regard, I just think UCLA, although they have the talent, um, like and like you said, it might come down to rebounding numbers, but I think the tempo of it, if Alabama continues to push the pace like they normally do, I just think over 40 minutes, they will be a very tough team for UCLA to beat. Yeah, and if UCLA loses to Alabama, they have nothing to no, they, to uh, hang their hats about. They, you know, they 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 got to where they got. It was it's it's impressive to begin with. They lost in the middle of the season. They lost one of their best players, Chris Smith, um, who had a season-ending injury. Um, you know, again, I just think that that to a degree, UCLA is living on borrowed time. A little bit. Yeah, yeah, and to go to the other um, to the top of the bracket now. Michigan against Florida State. Now I'd mentioned it with Texas. I just I think this these are the games where you mark if it if a team's um, bugaboo doesn't like rear its head. Now's the chance where you know it potentially would. Um, so those turnover issues that Florida State uh, turnover wise is not great, um, and I just think with Beeline and offensively yes. like like you mean like handling yeah. ball because from a from a defensive no, 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 perspective yeah. they forced They've, 19 turnovers exactly. uh against colorado state and that's how they got going and that's how they took that's how they beat colorado yeah. colorado, state, colorado but being the sloppiness with the basketball when they're on the offensive end i think is going to come back to get florida state sooner or later so whether that happens against michigan or whether that potentially happens against the guards of Alabama, I think it's going to rear its head, and I don't envision Florida State coming out of this region. And I, I, I like this Florida State team a lot. They had two team, two guys, Patrick Williams and Devin Vassell, off their team last year, go pro. And I think I think the reasonable expectation was that Florida State would take a step back this year. Um, they've had, they have not. They've obviously stayed on the level that they were at, and credit to them for doing so. But I think. Um, you know, facing a team like Michigan, who obviously has to be playing with somewhat of a chip on their shoulder with um, with livers out, and who does have they do have some guard depth, although they're not necessarily the name players that um, you know name players like livers, and then Alabama, who we know has strong guard play. I just don't necessarily see, like I said, don't necessarily see Florida State making it out of this region. They have their work cut out for them. Yeah, uh, I'm with you as well. I, I will say I agree with you. You know, they had the two lottery players last year. Last year's team was certainly more talented, but this year's team is, is very balanced, and that's a good thing. And again, like 
Florida State is capable of beating really good teams if they put them in scenarios they don't want to be in. That's how they've gotten wins against top-ranked Duke and, and North Carolina teams during the regular season in the ACC. They're always a difficult game for those types of teams because of the pressure that they, they are capable of putting on you. They're super long. Just They're very, they're, they're very much a, a prototypical Leonard Hamilton team where it's uh, – um, offense takes a backseat to to defense to a degree. And I don't have it in front of me, and, and I'm trying to look at it and I can't find it, but I, I'm almost positive that Florida State, to a degree at, in the regular season, had very good offensive efficiency numbers in terms of like baskets per possession and stuff like that. So um, it's it's not a sense of that. It's just more, like I said, I think we saw it with, with Texas. I think sooner or later, if you have – um, if you're turnover prone on the offensive end, I think that can get you. Um, Florida State, we saw they played sloppy against Colorado, and their defense is what obviously held them in. They hit they hit a couple threes early, and then they just really never got going in the first half. But then in the second half, um, they really just a lot of defense turned it into offense for them. Um, Michigan, we've we've touched on in, in a variety of different ways, but um, they. They're, they're finding ways to win, and it makes you wonder, okay, is this team, you know, they're going to, the loss of livers is going to hurt sooner or later, but it makes you wonder how far they could go before that, um, like that veteran player really, really is missed. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, um, because it's a stress injury to his foot, if we do see livers again in this tournament, um, he is rehabbing. It's you know they they didn't give out optimistic news, um, but they also haven't ruled him out for the rest of the season. So he's wearing a boot and um, and also a not NCAA property shirt uh, as he is protesting the NCAA during the NCAA tournament. Good for him, I think. If he wants to make money on his Got personal and thing. and hopefully, I think he should be more than a lot more than. Uh, Capable of doing Hopefully that. that leads to an NCAA basketball um, PlayStation Xbox video game in the near future. Get a that yeah. It's been I a think while that's but I think those. that's where these guys can make a few extra bucks. Is is in that regard? Um, yeah, I agree. I, I do not to delve off into a different topic, but just quickly, it's a, my personal opinion is, you know. I think it's absurd that they can't make money on their own names. Yes. So like they can't go to a car dealership and show up and get paid a couple thousand dollars to sign some autographs. That to me is ridiculous because you know we all know the amateur thing is is fraudulent. But the problem is when the people who are talking about paying these guys um, are not really thinking the entire scenario out. Um, college basketball, as much as I love it, is you know a shell of what it was. If you watch some of the games from the earlier mid 90s when guys were staying around for three four years if you watch that if you watch a duke unlv game or a duke um, kentucky games like, like you know it's just you're talking about completely different styles of basketball yes. and and better players but yet the everyone still wants to watch the tournament which to a degree tells me it's less about the you know how good the the players on the teams are and really less about the players themselves and more about the laundry more about what what school they're representing um i think when you get into paying players you would have a, a super lopsided scale so you would have you know certain guys who are already going to be going to the nba who are getting paid and the guys who are not going to be going to the nba are very replaceable like they're just not commodities that are going to be paid a lot of money so you know i, th I think 
the the real ticket for these guys and the thing that they should fight for is the ability to make money on their own name outside of college basketball. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's and I think um, just as we went down this wormhole, obviously there's not every player is not going to be able to get those, you know, at an autograph show or get a like say a car dealership like you know function uh signing or something like that but it's things like the video game where okay if you want to put my likeness in there you need to play and that's where like the eighth or ninth guy off the bench can make a few bucks more than he normally would um and and even even so it's it's the same thing with like a walk-on where you know these walk-ons there's there's rules for them too where although they're not getting the luxury of a scholarship yet they do not get the ability to, you know, make, um, I, I don't think they're allowed to like work, uh, in, as like a student, um, you know, like a, like a FASA type thing either, where they can't work, um, as a student, they have to like, just have a job off campus and stuff like that. They're subject to like a variety of rules, even though they're not even getting a scholarship. They're just under the, yeah. And they're there in the summer and, and, you know, working and playing college basketball is a full-time job. Yeah, for sure. honest. So, uh, just you know, they are getting some compensation, in so far as the scholarship, but that is yeah. What it is. But even the even uh, the guys who are not on scholarship are subject to these rules. So, so you've got Michigan I in have, this game in the bottom. I half. have Michigan and I have Alabama in the bottom half. Um, I've actually liked Alabama throughout. I'm going to continue to stick with them at the bottom of this each region. I think uh, Herb Jones, along with those three guards, I think is just very tough, and I think. That game against Maryland where we saw, like I said, Petty and Shackelford looked the part. Um, and I just like what I'm seeing out of Quinterly over the past few weeks, um, you know, going back to the SEC tournament. He is he's getting what he wants at will going to the rim. I, I agree with you. I think um, looking forward to the Elite Eight game, uh, if, if our predictions hold up, Alabama-Michigan, I think it'll be a very interesting game because it's a super contrast yes. styles. Michigan's going to try to to slow the game down and play at a, a much slower pace, and Alabama wants to play at a quick pace and and get the ball up and down the court. It'll be it'll be very interesting to see which one wins out. Um, I tend to think I, I just because i don't know maybe perhaps a little bit of bias but um i I think michigan um is going to be able to beat alabama Uh, i'm i'm going to go ahead and and say i like michigan to get out of this region but in a very close game with alabama and i give alabama more than a puncher's chance i give it you know this is like a 60 40 game to me um I think if they play 10 times, Michigan would probably win six. Livers is also the other big X yep. factor because even if he just comes back um, and he's not 100% from a uh, mobility standpoint, his ability to shoot the ball makes you makes you game plan for him and changes the other things in the offense. It would change the, it would change the landscape of that game for sure. Um, and like you said, the tempo of those two teams, uh, completely different up. Op- Completely different, opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, yeah, so I, I think picking between a one and two, especially a, a two as strong as Alabama and a number one who, um, you know, they didn't win their conference, so that's why they're the that's why they were the last number one in there. So, yeah, and and I, just one final final thing, um, I'm waiting on a big game from Hunter Dickinson. Yes. In the tournament. Um. I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna get a uh, 20, 21 point, 
13 rebound performance before it's all said and done. And if that comes against Alabama, that means that the pace is slowed and down and, and Michigan's more likely to, to win. To that Michigan's game. favor for sure if that's if that's the game. The better Dickinson plays, the more open the threes are. Agreed. Um, all right. And Michigan likes to shoot. Bill, those. so that concludes the East region. Uh, we will be back with the South region. We're still in Indianapolis for this tournament. Uh, yes, South Indianapolis. <laughs> yes, South Indianapolis. I will see you there, Bill. All right.